0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us.
1: Amen. Have a seat, everybody. We're going to talk a little bit before we keep singing. We are going to keep singing a lot today. So that's good. Let me just set my guitar down here.
2: Great
1: to see everybody today. Uh, how's everybody doing?
2: Good! Better than last night! Better than last night.
1: Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a, a football reference. And I haven't watched any football yet. And I know it's a big weekend for football, so don't tell me any spoilers. That's my plan for this afternoon. The teens have a thing going. I'm going to help the teens and watch football. So that's it for us. <laughs> so let me catch up. So uh, it's great to be together. We're going to be talking about worship today. Um, and uh, I'm just going to talk a little bit. minutes or so, and then we're going to have a a lot more singing than normal today. And I hope you like that. hope you like to sing. Singing is really for everybody. Um, If you don't believe that, there's more commands in the Bible to sing than just about anything else. Uh, A lot more than a lot of the other things we associate with being a person of God. There's so many scriptures that say, sing, shout for joy. Singing, you know, in our culture we kind of think of singing as being, some people are good at it, some people aren't. Singing is a human thing. It's like laughing. It's like breathing. It's like we were made for song, and so singing to God and worship is obviously more than just singing, but uh, but but singing to God is it, something about it that's such an amazing part of worship. So the title of what what I'm going to talk about is worship in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit. This I don't think this is working, but you can just follow my brain. Okay. So uh, worship in spirit and truth. So uh, we're going to talk about what that means real briefly here before we start singing and. Um, uh, so you know, first, first of all I want to tell you a story there, there was uh, a time that me and Steve and some of the other ministers went away to plan uh, some sermon series and we've done this a few times where we go up to the mountains there was this uh, retreat center that would let pastors stay there you have to call yourself a pastor if you do it but uh, you, know, you can stay there for almost free so we were up there and there was one of the young pastors who was with us he was in his 20s and uh, I don't know what this is about young people but you guys like to question everything right? And that's good. We like that. We need that. It keeps us on our toes. Right, guys, Spacemakers, Question everything. Come on. So so, uh, so he asked this question. We're, we're trying to plan our sermon series. We, I come in with all these ideas. And we're gonna Let's get to business. Let's get this done. And he asked a question that completely derailed us for a while. And his question was, why do we come to get, why do we, what's the purpose of Sunday? Why do we have church on Sunday? It's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> But it was good. It made us think, you know, it made us discuss. What, what? Why do we meet? And you might have wondered that. Why are we here? Or why are you on the live stream on Sunday morning going, okay, this is a special time. What's special about Sunday? Why do we do this? And uh, it's very, very early that Jesus' followers would come together on Sundays. There's a scripture, Acts 20, verse 7, that says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And uh, this is just kind of in the text, in the narrative of what Paul's doing. But he says, that this was, and, and this is... There's all kinds of other uh, writing outside of the Bible that comes along later that affirms this, that that became the Christian tradition to come together every Sunday to break bread, to share a meal together, to share communion, to gather at the table of fellowship. And uh, the reason Sunday morning was Saturday was the Sabbath. That was special for the Jews. It didn't mean anything for the Gentiles. And, And so that was already kind of the Sabbath was already its thing. Sunday became, that's the Christian thing. That's the thing that unites us all is this Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning is, what's special about Sunday? What happened on Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning, very early, right? The first day of the week. And so it becomes this remembrance of Jesus' resurrection because of the day. And also remembrance of his, his sacrifice and his death because of communion and what that represents, his body, blood. So it's this kind of coming together of this idea of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and what that means for us and who we are in the world. So that's why we gather on Sunday. So that's why we do Sunday. And, and since early days, uh, there, there is this kind of flow to what would happen on Sunday. I want to show you, a this is kind of an academic kind of chart here. But this is... Uh, like the, the flow of a Sunday service. And this is typical And you know, different worship traditions do it different ways. We have our way that we do it. But it's this, these, this pattern of gathering. So you gather together. There's a coming together. And then within that worship space, there is a time of the word, hearing from the word, listening to the word of God, hearing the word read. And all of that culminates in the table. It comes together in a communal act of remembering Jesus' body and blood. And, and so we, the table is what unites us. The table is so critical. The table is a thing that was really hard during lockdown. You know, everybody, I'm, I'm, I'm at my house in my garage, and I'm just hoping you guys have your, you know, your stuff and you're joining, and we're, we're trying to do the table, but it's really hard. Man, it was frustrating, right? It was difficult. Uh, I'm so glad that we are able to, to be coming together more and more. But that's why we're why we're here. We're here to gather at the table. And so even if the the talk is about all these other things, it still should all lead us to the table. And so that's central. Uh, even if there's not like a separate communion talk, the thing I argue is the whole thing is communion. Like the whole thing is it's a communion service. No, it, you know, no, no matter what, that's the whole point. That's why we're together. And then there's some response to that, and that includes. You know, maybe how you, how you want to change, how you want your life to be different this week. It also includes your offering. And I want to give back to God because of what he's done, done for me. And then there's ascending. We go back out into the world. And hopefully we're all a little different, a little more like Jesus from our time together. Does that make sense? So that's why we gather on Sunday. That's what we're doing. It's always good to remind you why we're doing it, right, and why, why, why we're here. Uh, but then where, where, where should Sunday be? What's the locus of worship? What's the, what's the, you know, where should it be located? We, we have a saying in our, in our fellowship, if you're kind of new to the fellowship, we say church isn't an event you attend. Uh, it's not a building that you go to, but it's a, a family you belong to. So the church itself is a body. It's a, it's a, it's us. It's the, it's the people. But Sunday worship, what, what about that though? Where should that be? And that was a, a discussion about where to worship that was a part of, uh, of kind of the conversation for a really long time. And you see it in John 4, John 4 verse 19. I think we're probably familiar with this story. Go ahead and go there if you can. Uh, I think we're probably familiar with the story that the woman at the well, right? You guys know that story? Yeah. I'll go back. We were there a minute ago. Keep going back. No, <laughs> we'll get there. There we go. Okay, so the woman at the well. So we know the story. She, you know, she's a Samaritan woman. So it's controversial that Jesus is talking to her. Number one, she's a woman out in public, and, and the men and women didn't really talk in the Jewish society out in public. And then she's a Samaritan, and the Jews and Samaritans had this real big issue. I won't go into all of why that was, but her question kind of points to why that was. She says, so Jesus tells her something uh, about her life that is, is, you know, she's like, how would you know that? Uh, you know, something probably she was embarrassed about or didn't want people to know about. And, and so her response is to kind of get religious. You know how people do that? If they feel a little vulnerable, they sort of get religious. That happens to me all the time because I'm a, a minister. So sometimes I'm hanging out with somebody. We're, we're at a soccer game. The person is swearing up and down. You know, and then uh, we're talking. Oh, so what do you do? I'm a minister. And then suddenly they're like, Oh, bless the Lord! You know, this is the day the Lord hath made. Or you know, they try to try to get religious. It's like, no, that's not. It's not me. You know, like let's. I'll go have a beer with you. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not all that. But anyway, so she kind of goes there. I think she goes, Oh, so she, she changes. She she changes the the subject to be this religious discussion that was ongoing argument between Jews and Samaritans she says sir the woman said you must be a prophet so tell me why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship?' so there's this worship argument you ever heard of worship arguments before (laughs) what kind of music it should be you know, how it should be done, high church, low church, should there be, you know, liturgical stuff, should it be non-traditional, you know, people have debated and argued about this stuff for a long time. And so that was back then, there was an argument, and it started all the way when the kingdom divided. So you had David and Solomon, and then Solomon's son, after, during the time of Solomon's son, the kingdom divided. And Jeroboam had the northern kingdom. And he was worried, he was afraid that if the Jews continued to go, because there was all these festivals and all these traditions and all these times where the people would come together in Jerusalem for worship. And uh, Jeroboam was worried, if my people go down there, I'm going to lose my, uh, my ability to control them. I'm gonna, you know, so because of fear and the one, desire to control, he, he, he made this change to the worship of his people, of the northern Israel and he made a new temple and he made a new place of worship and you might not know that there was another temple up in Samaria and, and he even made these false, he made these uh, idols these, these calves, uh, these golden calves so you, when you hear about Jeroboam's sin that's what it was, he made this new place of worship, he made these idols, he thought, he said he was still worshiping the God of Israel he's just like here's how we're going to do it, we're going to do it with these calves, which obviously God doesn't really like that kind of thing, as we know but he still, he still was trying to, he, you know, his mentality was, I want to worship God, but he's doing it in the wrong way. And, 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 and so it led to this total division, especially after Samaria was destroyed, and, and, and long, long, long later, this woman is a descendant of those people. So that's what she's talking about, is that argument of where do we worship. Does that make sense? So Jesus' answer, I think, it is really good for us, even today. It, it, is, it helps us to know what is the locus of worship, where and how should we worship Jesus replied in verse 21, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying the time is coming where it doesn't really matter where you worship. It doesn't really matter where you worship. So even if if you're worshiping right now on the live stream, you know, and you've got people together in your household and you're worshiping, you know, I think Jesus is okay with that. Like, it's not ideal. We want to all be together, as many people as possible together. But hey, you know, Jesus is saying there's something beyond the space. It's not like there's a sacred space. And so I love this space. This space is awesome. But but Jesus is saying there's something. It, it, it's going to now go beyond the physical locale. There's a spiritual locale that he's talking about. And he says, uh, verse 22: You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Little slam. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. All right. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus says God is looking for for what? What does it say in that passage? He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for people who have this kind of worship. So as you're here today, and you're here to worship God on a Sunday, and we talked about why it's on a Sunday, like, like that's, I like to think about that, that like God is paying attention to how I worship. God cares about what's in my mind, and in my heart, and in my spirit. You know, I'm not just like here to, you know, to just kind of passively uh, just you know, maybe kind of see what this has to offer, like we do a TV show. Like worship is meant to be participatory. Like you are a part of what we're doing. Like everybody up here, we're only here to try to help you, like to serve you in your own personal worship. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of of worshiper that God seeks. Like I want God to be pleased with the kind of worship that I offer. And so I want it to be in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? Let's talk about those two things. This is something, spirit and truth, next slide. This is something that has been talked about and debated and, and kind of considered for a long time. You guys got it? Okay. Uh, so what does it mean to worship in spirit? What does it mean to worship in truth? And obviously, we're, we're not going to get to the bottom of that here in the next couple minutes. But spirit, I, wanna, I want you to know that, that word. So Jesus, when he said this, he would have used the word, uh, 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 now, I, now I lost it, ruach, right? Is that right, Devin? Ruach, Which is, that's the Hebrew word for spirit. And that Hebrew word for spirit is the same word as breath or wind. And it carries with this this idea of energy or life force. Like for example, the very beginning of the Bible says the Lord's spirit was hovering over the waters of chaos. So the the earth, the world is chaos, but God's ruach, his breath, his wind, like this presence of God is dwelling over the chaos and then God spoke so it's it's like his the ruach takes form in words and then that's what creates and so that same ruach then he breathes into Adam and he breathes into these animals and he you know his breath his life energy is what's you know, forming creation, forming these creatures, forming us in the image of God. It's God's spirit. And there, there's all kinds of cool stuff. There's a lot of really good stuff in the Bible Project uh, app. If you haven't gotten that yet or if you're interested in going deeper, there's a whole little detour you can take on God's spirit in Genesis. It's really, really good. I've been, like, really into that lately. It's super good. But so when when, when the Bible, when Jesus' worship in the, and the Greek word, in our Bible, in the New Testament, is pneuma, and it's exact same as the Hebrew word in that it has those same meanings. Wind, spirit. You know that verse where Jesus says, you hear the wind, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You see the effects of the wind, so it is with anyone born of the spirit, he says in John 4. So it's that same idea of the, the this. it's something intangible. It's something you can't see or touch, or but it's something that you see the effect of. So to worship in spirit to me is to it's to experience something that's otherworldly. It's to in, encounter God, like the spiritual realm. This realm that we can't see. Like there's something trans, should be transcendent about our time of worship. Like the idea of being together in this space, it should help you to recognize the presence of God somehow. As we sing these songs, like there should be part of your being that just wants to connect with him. Like this, it says the spirit within us groans with words. That uh, expresses itself in groans that words cannot express. So that's what I I think about when I think about worshiping in spirit. There's another passage where where Paul says uh, in Colossians, he says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I can't remember if it's the Colossians one or the uh, Ephesians one. There's two that are almost the same. He says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. And then he says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. So there's something about singing together, worshiping together, that helps us to be filled with the Spirit, to worship in Spirit. And so, you know, don't try to discipline your mind as we sing to not, like, be thinking about other things or distracted with other things, but, like, try to enter a spiritual zone. Or at least allow yourself that freedom to kind of go, I just want to experience you, God, and I I want to kind of shut out all these other things out of my mind, and I just want to encounter God during this time. And then what does it mean to worship in truth? Uh, Truth, um, Devin was telling us that word truth carries with it the idea of being uncovered. And so it's this idea of being uh, your authentic self when you worship. You're not like going, you're not faking it. Boy, that's a, that's, there's a lot of faking it in religion, wouldn't you say? I know I have faked it before. But there but it says God is worshiping is, is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth that you are your authentic self you're you're real with God Amen. you're you're able to 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 confess your sins to God, you know even as you're singing or as you're praying or you're able to just be yourself that that is so rare in our world and in our culture to be able to be safe to be yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing is when you So many of us are afraid of that because when we face ourselves, we see all our imperfections. We realize all the ways we're not like Jesus or the ways we need to change or the things that, the ways we're not enough. But that's the amazing thing about the Christian faith is that we don't have to be enough. That's why Jesus was enough. That's why Jesus is Jesus, is so that we can come to him and we're like, oh, I'm still this. I'm still that. I'm trying. Here's where I am. You know, kind of like when Jesus talked about those two guys that went to pray and one of them the religious guy was like oh i'm so glad i'm doing all these great things and i'm not like the sinner over there i'm so glad i do the religious things that i do and i'm i'm so glad i'm awesome you know and then the other guy was just the worst the worst in the jewish mind he was a tax collector a sinner but he goes to worship and he goes oh god have mercy on me and it says he wouldn't even lift his head to heaven because he was so like oh what am i even doing here i don't deserve to be here just have mercy on me a sinner but Jesus, says, that's the prayer that God listened to. that's the kind of worshiper that God seeks. And so there should be some, some time in worship where you're able to just kind of be real and, and be broken and sometimes it takes singing a lot of songs for me to kind of get my heart there, like because I'm still distracted or I'm still but sometimes after just a time of just scripture reading and, and prayers and songs, man, I've had those experiences where I'm just like, I don't even know what happened, but something supernatural happened and I am just. I'm on my, I'm just on my face at the foot of the cross, you know. (laughs) So that's what we want, you know. That's what we want today is just to be a time of therapeutic worship. We've been through a lot the last couple years, Uh, you know. And uh, all of us have channeled it differently. We, We might have different opinions about what should be being happening right now or what should have been done or not been done or whatever. And that's all fine and good. Like we're a diverse group and I love that about our fellowship. But we all have been through a lot, no matter what. You know, you've been through a lot, and so we all need the presence of God. And and we encounter God so often through being gathered together. And so uh, I'm going to read a scripture here and and share a song. Is, is the is stuff working? Just not... All right. Okay. Cool. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll sing. We'll we'll have a, some time of singing. We're going to have singing, prayers, uh, scripture reading, and uh, and then. Uh, We'll, we'll, all of that, just like we saw in that uh, little triangle, it's all going to lead us to the, the, the table. It's all going to lead us to our time of communion together. Lord, thank you to be able to uh, wait on you uh, together. Uh, it's even sometimes good when stuff doesn't work because it just reminds us of how faulty and frail everything is in this world. And uh, But God, you are always there, and you are always just a prayer away and uh, just that you dwell in, in the kingdom of the heavens just right around us and all all over uh, uh, this place and everywhere we are, you're just right there and accessible to us. And I pray that as we worship today, as we sing these songs, God, um, just every one of us can just take the time to, to still our souls, to uh, you know stop being so in control or stop worrying about so many things that we worry about. And help us just to trust you and trust that you know what you're doing in our lives. You know what you're doing in our church and in our world. And uh, uh, God, we know that, you know, there's a, Jesus is coming back and there's a new age to come. And uh, we just want to be with you uh, forever and with each other. And uh, thank you for the ways that times like this can help remind us of those spiritual truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: I wait, wait for the Lord, my soul Like the morning I put my hope In Him, in Him My sin. My sin. His love never fails. He himself will redeem my sin. We wait for him. Oh, we wait
2: for him.
1: Are right, you guys singing?
0: I'll wait. Give
3: church. Yeah, it's, it's really good to be here. I know I've been the last time I really was able to gather with the church. I think it was sometimes in 2020 because uh, part of 2020 I was gone and when I came back, COVID was a thing, you know. And 2021, I was gone almost for the whole year. You know, I got back December 24th. You know, It was great to be here, to be able to see my spiritual family. And I'm glad to, you know, to, to be able to stand in front of you today. And I'll be reading from Sophaniah uh, 3, uh, 9 to 20. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. And serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame, for the for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hills, but I will leave within you the meek and humble, the remnant of Israel. We trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemies. The Lord the king of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, "Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your end hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing." I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortune before your very eyes, says the Lord. Amen.
4: Good morning, church. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 43, 1 through 13. But now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this, and proclaimed this to the former things? Let them bring in their witness to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there ever be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it?
5: Turn your page or scroll to Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands." Instead of the thornbush, will grow the juniper. And instead of breers, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Are you heard. Trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new. I still Tell the world of the treasure you found. Victoria, so oh, nothing is...
6: to be here today. I just uh, want to thank everybody that's here, both outside, inside, and on our streaming uh, YouTube uh, channel. Uh, I love being able to get together, and I appreciate what Brian set up for us this morning when it comes to this concept of the table, uh, being able to come together, this gathering which ultimately culminates in ascending. But The focal point of it all, knowing that in the first century it wasn't about coming together for a church service, it was a matter of coming together as family for communion. Just this incredible time together. And just thinking through the years, uh, I love preparing a meal. I I love the setting of the meal, but more than anything, all of that is to set it up for an incredible time together for whoever it's being prepared for. Uh, Thanksgiving is just one of those times of the year I love so much because there's so much prep, but it's an extended time together. And I think just thinking that through, uh, you know, Roman Navarrete is here with us this morning, and it reminds me, takes me back to the East Region 30 something years ago, uh, looking back to when his mom and dad became disciples. And again, with that, that prepping of meals, I remember uh, I had this opportunity with Rudy. We used to have a softball league in the church. We had like 3,000 people in the church that came out to attend it. And Rudy and I were flipping burgers the entire day. We, we prepared over 3,000 hamburgers on this Toable barbecue that we had. But again, it was just for this gathering, this coming together. And the fellowship is amazing. And you know, it, it brings up a question when we think about it. And I've heard this said, and I know denominations that feel this way, but when we do something repetitively does it diminish its impact or power or its meaning? I think sometimes it can. And I think this is where we need to be careful. I, I know denominations that they do communion every month. Once a month they may do it on Christmas and Easter. Um, I'm one that errs on the other side of that. If we have a gathering with our elders and our evangelists or our volunteer leaders there are times, it, it's not a Sunday, we'll do communion together. And I think that's the significance of where two or more are gathered, just this whole concept of the gathering and of church. And so when it comes to, you know, can it, if it's done too regularly, diminish? I think this is where it's on us, and I really believe this is where this emotional, healthy spirituality, this journey we're going to be going, going to start here soon, really help us to overcome repetition and really make sure that we connect on a heart level. There's a quote by by Robert Weber that I read years ago in in a book of his. He's a theologian. He has a book that he wrote that's called Ancient-slash-Future Worship, Looking Back and Looking Forward. And in it, he answers that question. He says, the celebration of bread and wine is no abstract object out there, no thing to be observed as an object of interest, nor Mere ritual to be taken in a perfunctionary or mechanical way. No, we move from a delightful contemplation of all that bread and wine disclose to a participation in God's story by continually affirming in bread and wine that Jesus is given anew and poured out again to the world through our individual lives and through the community of the people of God, the Church, who manifests God's purposes for the world in the worship of our lips. And lives. You know, I think one of the things that's significant about worship, our time of worship, and again, I so appreciate our worship team. I come in here most Sundays with a varying degree of frazzle. I'm thinking about all the different things that go into making this happen, what I'm going to say, who's going to say what, timing, tech, all of those things. Not to mention whatever it is that's taking place the week or months prior to that given time based on what I ever focused on coming in. But what worship allows me to do literally is to clear yesterday's table, clear the countertops, empty the sink, and really have the opportunity to be really focused and get my heart in the right place. So all of us react differently, but for for me, this is so incredibly significant. And just really thinking that through, that our time of worship at the table should leave us changed. It should be a special time for each of us. as We remember the one who was crucified died and was buried, but more significantly, was resurrected. You know, when we come to the Lord's table, we remember that all Christ has done for us When we come and we clear that table so that we have the ability to remember exactly who we were before we had that understanding of the significance of the resurrection, his body, his blood. And really, without thinking that through, when we talk about gratitude, and again, I think that's maybe one of the things I love so much about November, because it's like almost a daily focus. Be grateful, be grateful, be grateful. But when it comes to his atoning sacrifice, giving thanks at the table is the meaning of the word Eucharist which is the act of thanksgiving. And at the table, we think about, we consider the atonement that's found in Christ through his death on the cross. Through this process, it's something that allows us to be transformed, not just once, but daily, whenever we really take the time to make space to think about our Savior. You know, we need to remember his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and the entirety of the salvation story is so significant for each and every one of us So significant that God relies on us to share that story with others. You know, what ultimately what transforms and nourishes us at the bread and wine is this disclosure of the whole story of God. Creation, incarnation, recreation. What takes residence inside of us as we take and eat and drink what God has prepared for us. Henry Newman sums it up. Uh, this is from a book that's entitled In the Name of Jesus. Communion with Jesus means becoming like him. With him, we are nailed to the cross. With him, we are laid in the tomb. With him, we are raised up to accompany lost travelers on the journey. Communion, becoming Christ, leads us to a new realm of being. It ushers us into his kingdom. I'd like to uh, take us to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, as we contemplate on the table and the significance of this gathering and the significance of Christ and his impact for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What I'd like for us to do right now, and again, just making space, is just to take a minute of silence and really contemplate on this would like us to really contemplate on the fact that we serve a God who took a crucifixion and turned it into a resurrection for each and every one of us personally. And after that minute, I'll pray for the communion. Father, I come before you right now humbled by the fact that you are mindful of us. Humbled by the fact that you would send your son to die for us. Humbled that we have the opportunity to come together like this and rejoice in that very sacrifice. I know sometimes, God, I'm frustrated as we sit here, and try to open the communion cup uh just the things of this life some things that are made to simplify things for us and i lose sight of the fact that there are two elements that are in that package the wafer that bread that symbolizes your son's body the fruit of the vine that symbolizes the blood that was shed for us father and i'm grateful for that and i'm grateful that we can actually take the opportunity to remember you throughout the course of our day help us to continue to make space Give us the opportunity to really be thoughtful, mindful of you throughout the day, knowing that there are so many things that vie for our attention, so many things that can be a distraction, so many things that Satan tries to use to beat us down. But, God, you've demonstrated the most incredible victory ever, and that is the victory that took place at the tomb that Jesus rose from the dead from. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the reminders. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: you guys.